Good morning, everyone. Um, as always, it's, it's an honor for me to be able to speak to you and to break down and look at the Word of God. Today, we're going to be finishing the book of Philippians, with which I'm not sure about for you, but for me, it's been a, a great series, a very life-giving, encouraging series. And I get to close that out today. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. And what we're going to be looking at is the key to contentment and generosity. So starting with verse 10, it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So I think that we're looking at a perfect text uh, because we had just celebrated Thanksgiving a couple of days ago, and we're about to transition into the Christmas season. And just like Michael said during during communion, that Thanksgiving has become something different. We used to have what was called Black Friday, and it's become Black Thursday evening now. And um, and I'm not saying that it's bad to go Black Friday shopping. Last year I got a great uh, 4K 55 inch for 300 bucks, so it was worth it. And if you have nieces and nephews and it's Christmas time, it could be a wise financial decision to go out shopping that day. So I'm not speaking bad about it. But what happens is that for a lot of people, Black Friday becomes a day that's driven by greed and by selfishness. They've cleared things up, but a few years ago, um, there was a woman in, New, in a, a Walmart in New York that, that was, she was pregnant and she got killed and trampled on because people were rushing to try to get a TV or something. So there were a lot of fights that have taken place over Black Friday. Like I said, they've, they've, they've gained some wisdom and, 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 and do things differently now. But just imagine people getting trampled over for a TV, for a PlayStation or something like that. So, and another thing that happens is during the holidays, we get reminded about the things that we don't have and the things that we wish we had. And, and, and to be honest, the, the natural condition, the, the, the sinful condition of the human heart is a condition of discontentment. No matter what we have, no matter what we don't have, there's always something more than we want. The people that don't have struggle because they don't have. The people that have struggle because they don't have more. And they have realized that although they have a lot, they are not satisfied, so they continue to want more. 
I remember um, the, when I, bought, I, I was living in my house, renting it for a couple of years. And the day I purchased it, for some reason, I walked into the house that day and I looked at my kitchen and I realized that my kitchen wasn't big enough to have an island in the middle of it. I realized that my kitchen was smaller than a kitchen that I would have desired. And that was, that was just so weird for me. I, I, I was talking to Michaela the other day and she has saved up to buy an iPad for herself. And she was like, Dad, do you think that they have like maybe an iPod that's small that only plays music? And I'm like, yeah, that's what the iPod used to do. You know, so, so no matter when we have a lot, we always want little. If you're a video game fan, one of the, the games that has made the most money over the last couple of years is Minecraft. We have video games where people, where the people look like actual people, but now we're going back because we're not content with that. So now we're going to pixelated video games. It's just a, a, a weird phenomenon, our discontentment. So anyway, going back to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians is a great and beautiful letter written by a grateful man, a loving pastor expressing love, appreciation, and thanksgiving to a people that he dearly loved. A people that were with him, that have been throughout the years, have, have, have prayed for him. He, he planted this church. He was thanking them for their, for their financial gift. And he was letting them know, I, yes, I am in jail. Yes, I have suffered a lot for the gospel. But I want you guys to know, in the middle of this, I am joyful. In the middle of this, I am okay. I am fulfilled. I am satisfied. I am content. So the big idea is that God desires for his people to be generous and learn the secret of contentment in every situation. So our text is mainly about generosity, the generosity of the Philippians and and Paul's thankful heart. But in the beginning of it, there's this big rock that talks about our contentment. As we go through the text, we're going to park there for a little while. So the first point I want to make is that the posture of generosity is contentment. Contentment means to be satisfied, to have enough, to want nothing more, to be contained and self-sufficient, to already have the resources that are needed. For a Christian, we recognize that the sources, the, the resources that we have are not in ourself, but they, they are in Christ who lives in us. First Timothy 6, 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is our helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So the word of God teaches us to be content. And before we get deeper into contentment, let me tell you what contentment is not. Being content doesn't mean to be complacent. It doesn't mean to be apathetic. It doesn't mean to have a false peace based on ignorance or numbness. Paul was never complacent. Paul was constantly sharing, sharing the gospel. Even in chapter one, he was saying how that, how his situation has served to advance the gospel because now he could preach the gospel to the imperial guards. And he wrote several letters. I'm sure that he wrote a dozens of letters, but some of them have actually, uh, were believed to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and in, were in our, our, in, in what we, are we called our scripture today. 
So Paul didn't just lay down in the middle of his situation. He went on swinging to the end. He was continuing to pastor, continuing to love, continuing to encourage, and continuing to build up the church. So as far as the gifts that he received, uh, we're sp- talking specifically about finances here. But as we go through, I want us to understand that I believe that there are principles that carry over into other parts of life, not just finances. So as I said before, the condition of the heart, the condition of, of, of the default position of the heart is a heart of, of discontent. It is a heart where we're constantly wanting more, constantly trying to find fulfillment in things apart from Jesus. We enjoy things for a little while. We enjoy things for a, fort, a short time. But after a while, they lose its, it, it loses its luster. It becomes just common and we get used to things. So whether it's money, status, power, even your spouse, a friend, a car, or an iPhone, we are never content. And we struggle with this. And discontentment is not only for, for people that don't have like I said before, there's this, people are discontent when, when they have. And what happens is they have worked so hard to try to find contentment in other things that they, that, that's, so they end up, um, after working so hard and giving so much and not find, being content and feeling if I make this amount of money, I'll be happy. Then they get there and they're like, oh, well, I guess I need to make this amount of money. And they keep striving. And then that's why a lot of rich people wrestle with depression. More people wrestle with depression that are rich than people that are poor. More people commit suicide that are rich than people that are poor. And because they have put so much energy into trying to be fulfilled, and when they get there, they're not fulfilled. And when we know that the only one that can really satisfy us is Jesus. The only one that can really give us contentment is Jesus. And Paul knew that whether he was rich, poor, whether he was in surplus or lack, he found ultimate satisfaction in Christ. So how was Paul able to be content? Number one, uh, he knew that contentment is dependent on faith in God's sovereign providence. Verse 10 says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul trusted that within God's sovereignty, uh, he had not provided the opportunity for, for the Philippians to be able to provide for him, but he had uh, we've been receiving provisions from other brothers and other churches that were that were that that knew him and that were appreciating his ministry. He trusted that God was going to provide for him regardless of who he provided through. Uh, the word sovereign, God's sovereignty means that God is the supreme authority and all things are under His control. And His prov- God's providence means that God sees and knows all things beforehand, and within His sovereignty, He works in advance and arranges circumstances and situations to fulfill his perfect will in our lives. Just like the story of Joseph who went through different situations like getting sold by his brothers and being falsely accused, found himself in jail, met someone there that was going to be able to, to eventually connect him to Pharaoh. Why? Because the Israelite, because there was going to be a famine in the land and ultimately God was going to use Joseph's uh, gift of interpreting dreams to save and to sustain the, the, his people, the Israelites, even though it was in a different country. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, read the story of Joseph. It's in the book of Genesis. But Joseph, uh, Genesis 20, uh, 520, Joseph said, as, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So in the middle of all 
the, the, in life, God is working so many things at the same time. He's working globally. I mean, let's say this week. He's working in me. Give me an opportunity to share the word. And he was working in Keith, giving an opportunity to rest. He was working in this person and, you know, in this situation, working on this person's contentment, working on this person's giving. God is working in all of our lives in the same time and they actually intertwine. And he works out using his, 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 his providence, using his sovereignty and his power to orchestrate situations for us to be in certain places and it's in the middle of where he wants us. I know that sounded kind of vague, but I hope that makes sense. We are exactly where God wants us today. And in the middle of what situation we are in, whether it's a place of joy or a place of struggle, God is working his perfect plan in our life. He does things, he does, he performs miracles sometimes, he does things miraculously, but by one of the greatest miracles is how God works his perfect plan in our life. Using even other people's decisions and other, and situations, and I think that this, this is amazing. So in the middle of things, we need to decide to trust that God is working all things for his glory and for our good. Just like he says in Romans 8.28 that, that God works all things for the, all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even when, sometimes when we're struggling, whether it's a financial stress or there's sickness or maybe we, we have, we lost someone or we're hurt by others, we are tempted to doubt our good God. But I always remind myself that God is good. And that God is sovereign and this is what gives me peace and hope because like I said, he is giving, he is working all things for his glory and for my good, even when I don't understand what's good for me. And this is a struggle. When we are challenged in life, we tend to look away from God and want to look at our circumstance more. As we grow in our relationship with God, we grow in faith and grow in trust. And we need to uh, be able to, to come to him and ask him for help. And I'm going a little bit ahead of myself. But when, even when others are in situations or in faith crises, we need to tell them truth, but we need to be compassionate because this is a tough situation to be in. And sometimes when we're going through something, we feel when someone tries to encourage us, you're like, look, you've never been through what I've been through, so you can't understand. But then when we look at Paul's resume of suffering, Paul is an expert in suffering. But he is an, also an expert in finding joy in the middle of the suffering. Maybe someone cannot connect to your situation. But with Paul's suffering and his truth, he can connect with our situations. He knew that God was in control, whether he was in the middle of a peaceful time or he was getting beaten for preaching the gospel. He knew that God was using every circumstance to glorify himself. And sometimes we try to get out of the circumstance. We try to do things on our own power. But there are some times that God wants us there and he wants to not necessarily change our circumstance, but he wants to change our heart in the middle of it. He wants to glorify himself and build us to become more and more like him. So whether we're going through times of comfort or joy, we need to trust that God is working things for his glory and have faith in his providence and in his sovereignty. So not only did did uh did Paul trust in God, he also knew that contentment was something that was learned. Verse 11 says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul learned the secret 
of contentment. And I'm sure that this took a lot of time. I'm sure that there were struggles that he had when he first started to suffer. But it says here that he has learned the secret. An inner secret that he's learned. God taught him the secret of being, of being content, but he learned the secret under fire. Just to talk a little bit about Paul's resume of suffering. 1 Corinthians 4.11 says, To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our hands. When, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, we have become and are, and are still the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. Also in 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 4 of 6, verse 4, it said, by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamity, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights and hungers, through, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, 2 Corinthians 11.24 says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger for robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety of all the churches. So this is Paul's resume when it comes to suffering. So even if someone's speaking to you and you feel like they can't connect with you, I think that Paul can connect with someone that's suffering and yet to find joy in the middle of it. Paul was speaking to the Philippians and he was speaking to us and he knew suffering so now besides that look at his current condition he was under house arrest he was on he was dependent on god and others to provide for him his these jails didn't have square uh, three square meals a day like the jails in the united states he was living with the bare minimum and not to mention the fact that his life was dedicated to ministry he was going around the world at that time and going and preaching the gospel and sharing with people loving people pastoring people and now he's stuck in a room and he doesn't have people around him. I know me, if I were, I, Paul is a hundred times the man I am, but if I was in a place where I couldn't be sharing Jesus with people and be stuck in a room with just this guy chained to my arms, I would suffer through that time. Paul was suffering. Not only was he suffering, like I said, that he had, he had the min, the minimum to live, but he was suffering emotionally, I'm sure. He was suffering because he wasn't able to share. But out of this suffering, came came letters that we are encouraged by today out of the suffering he was able to preach the gospel to the, to the to the to the guards so paul knew suffering and and how many of us would have done things differently like talking about god's sovereignty i think about it if i were god the greatest evangelist known to the world still today i would have made him live to 150 years old and go on 20 missionary journeys but for some reason, God chose and knew that this would be the best way to do it, to have him in prison. Do I understand that? No. Do you guys understand it? Did Paul necessarily understand it? No. But he trusted that God was good, and he trusted that God was sovereign. God is all-wise. He's all-knowing. He could have healed the person that was sick. He could have provided for you 
in your financial situation that it took a long time. He should have, he could have provided a job for you when you needed a job. He could have provided a spouse for you at early time. He could have provided, God could do all these things, but he does what's best even when we don't understand that. And that's what we need to trust in his goodness and his sovereignty. So Paul trusted in God and he was able to rejoice in the middle of that. He learned the secret of contentment. And he was able to focus on Jesus instead of his situation. And he did this through constant communication, constant surrender, constant trusting, constantly growing in his relationship with God. And one other thing that he knew is that contentment is dependent on the power of God. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. And this is probably the most misquoted, misunderstood verse in the Bible. We see this uh, verse on the back of boxers' robes. We see it on football players' eye black. And they're saying basically, I can do whatever I want. God can strengthen me to do whatever I want to do. And that's, not, that's exact, the exact opposite of what God is saying here. Is the exact opposite. I mean, unless the, they're saying that even if I win or lose, I could be full of joy. If they're saying that, then maybe they're using it the right way. But I don't think that's what they're saying. So it has become a battle cry for people going into a situation or a struggle, um, expecting to come out on top, expecting for things to come out exactly the way they want to. But that's not always the case. Like I said, it's total opposite. God is not necessarily saying, I can change my circumstance through Christ that lives in me. He is saying, I can endure my circumstance through Christ that lives in me. This strength, this strength, this contentment is a supernatural thing. It's not something that we can muster up on our own strength. And that's why we struggle at it all the time. It's something that we can only get through Jesus. Isaiah forty twenty nine says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. In our own strength, we cannot produce this. But we also know that through Jesus, he can give us the strength. And the whole point is saying that through the power of God, we can be content and full of joy and full of peace in the middle of every situation that we go through, just like Paul was. John 15 says that Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. Anything that God wants to produce in us is fruit that comes from our relationship with him. So when we are struggling, when we're, when there, when we're, when there's sadness and sorrow, we need to dig deep into the vine and suck up from the sap of life that Jesus gives us. The Bible says in, in Galatians 22 that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we are struggling, how many people need joy in the middle of struggle, right? How many people need patience in the middle of struggle? How many people need peace in the middle of struggle? How many people need faithfulness in the middle of the struggle? And we only get these through God, through the Spirit of God living inside of us, strengthening us. And in the middle of struggle, the enemy is constantly lying to us, telling us God doesn't love you. God isn't good. And you know those people in the church, they really don't care about you. They're making fun of you in this situation. You don't need God and you don't need them. These are the lies that the enemy tells us. And he tells us to run away from God and run away from his people. But this is actually what we need to be. We need to be to stand on God's truth, to know God's truth, speak to ourselves, encourage ourselves with the word, and to receive encouragement from our brothers and sisters. And we need to surrender and trust 
that God is good, that the generous God that has given us everything that we need, because the story of the gospel is the story of generosity. It is a story that we were sinners, that we were had a debt that we couldn't pay. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and we had an eternal debt that we couldn't pay. But God came down. Jesus came and met us in our need and generously gave himself for us. And he generously gave himself to us. When we were in trouble, Jesus came and he shared in our trouble. He has given us his righteousness, his love, his eternal life. He has given us his spirit to live inside of us. And through Christ, we have been called children of God. The gospel is a story of generosity. And one other thing, the context of our generosity is community. In verse 14, it says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I met When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The Philippians, just like Jesus came and shared in our trouble, we are supposed to be like Christ and to share in each other's trouble. Now, everybody likes for people to share ice cream, right? Share money, share joy. How many people want people to share their troubles? But within God's loving gospel community, we are called to bear one another's burdens. We are called to be here with one another. If we've experienced the gospel and the generous God, then we are to serve and to give and uh, for the sake of this gospel. We are to be willing to share in burdens, to share not only financially, but share in time, in care, in energy, in encouragement, in love, and to provide for one another. The Bible talks about in the book of Acts that the church, no one lacked because everyone was provided for. Everyone helped each other. And we're not talking about uh, giving people and uh, 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 providing people's wants. We're talking about providing people's needs. We need to be a, a community that is there for one another. Like I said, we're talking, this, this, these verses are talking specifically about finances, but I think it's more than that. I think that, that, that the principles are true and, 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 and as far as service and just bearing one another's burdens. And we understand that we all have families. We have responsibilities, so we can't always give. We can't always be there. We don't always have the time. We always don't, we don't always have the energy, but sometimes we do. And sometimes uh, traumatic situations come when we're not expecting it. And it's okay for us to adjust our schedules once in a while to help people out. It's okay to adjust our schedules once in a while to reach out to the community. So uh, God teaches us to put other people's needs before our own. And that's one thing that we want to be as a, as a gospel community. And discontentment stops generosity. Because when we're trying to build our own our own kingdom and just wanting to be comfortable and wanting to get more and more, this stops us from being able to give to others. We're not willing sometimes to sacrifice. Like I said, whether it's finances, time, care, love, energy, whatever it is, even our hands to serve one another, we struggle with that. The, the, the Philippians gave Paul because he was in need, but they also gave him because he, because they believed that God was using him to advance the gospel. They were not paying him for his ministry. They were blessing him and they were appreciated by his ministry. They were providing for him so that he can do gospel work. 
They believed in the work of the kingdom. They believed in his calling. They believed in his ministry. They were blessed by it. And they were investing in the kingdom of God. And even us in our situation where we're trying to raise money so that we can get our own building, people have believed in what we are doing here. People have been blessed by our ministry. People believe that we are doing gospel work. People have trusted in the calling and the ministry of our leaders. So that's why they have invested and given to us and believing that they, that this is going to be used for the advancement of the kingdom of God and so that the gospel can be spread. Sacrificial giving is something that's sort of contrary to the attitude of the American church. In the American church, we're taught to be spectators. We're taught to be consumers. But what God wants us to be is to be co-laborers. Again, not only finances, time, energy, service, giving your hands and your feet to serve one another. And so I want us to know that this isn't Keith and Mike's church. This is our church. We are to take responsibility. We are to take responsibility for the work. And we are to take responsibility to provide so that we can keep going, so that we can be, keep doing gospel-centered work. So we can share the gospel and share, share Jesus with others. We are to serve one another in community and to, to serve one another in this community and to serve the community outside of our church. If we believe that God is doing something here, then let's join in and let's do it. So the kingdom of God is worth it, right? The kingdom of God is worth it. Amen. So again, Paul was, 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 was always continuing to work for the advancement of the kingdom of God. The assurance of generosity is external investments. Verse 17 says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases in your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. A fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is highlighting the spiritual and eternal significance of giving. Paul was joyful because he was seeing that the Philippians were giving and he was expressing gratitude that they were providing. But he was even more excited that they were going to be receiving blessings from God for giving. He was excited that they, as they gave to him, he knew that, that they were, that they were going to be blessed for it. And this is a little hard for me to talk about this because I feel like when we do things, we want to do it without expecting anything in return. But the reality is that the Bible teaches us that God does bless us for giving. I'm not saying that that should be our primary focus. When If you watch TV and you watch the preachers there, everything is about, oh, give so that God can give you. Sow a seed, and I'm going to send you this bottle of water from Jerusalem or something like that. It's going to bless you. But that's not that shouldn't be the main focus of our giving, but we understand that we do receive when God when we are when we are giving to the work of the Lord. So giving is a privilege and a responsibility for our gospel community. We are to labor and to advance the kingdom of God. And this is the only investments that we're guaranteed a hundred percent returns on. When we, when we give to the kingdom of God, God is saying, hey, whether it's now or in eternity, you're going to be receiving blessings for that. So I'm ready for those. <laughs> and also, uh, Paul also, he called the, their gift a fragrant offering and they sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul was letting them know that their gift was worship, not worship to Paul, but it was worship to God. 
It was pleasing to the Lord. When we give for people in need and when we give for the advancement of the kingdom, it is pleasing to the Lord. It says a pleasing, a, a fragrant offering. Like when you go on the, on the drive through at Starbucks and that smell that comes out of there just pleases your heart. That's the greatest smell in the world, by the way. But for God, it's, it's for God, when we give, it smells like the Starbucks drive through. So <laughs> it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We are making an eternal investment and we are giving towards the work of the Lord. God has provided for us. And he wants us to share in this. And when God provides for us, it's hardly, there's hardly a time that we found a, find a sunken treasure in the middle of the ocean. He usually provides for us through other people. Like when I lose money, I pray. And I say, God, I pray that someone that needs it finds it. Because how many, how many times have we been in need and we've experienced God coming through? We find money somewhere. I know it's happened to me. Someone had to lose that money in order for us to find it. And in order for our needs to be provided, someone had to be touched by the Lord in order for them to give it to us. Right? So God uses us again within his the sovereign providence to provide for one another. And the best place that we can invest our money is in the kingdom of God. Our treasures are heavenly, not earthly. And I don't know exactly what this looks like for our future, but I know that the word of God says it. Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The same God that provided for Paul provides for us. So that's why that we can be anxious for nothing, but in every prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We can go to God because God provides for us. Paul trusted in the Lord. He wanted the Philippians to trust in the Lord, and he wants us to trust in the Lord. It is only through trusting in the Lord that we can truly be generous. So ultimately, why is it that we give? The goal of generosity is the glory of God. Verse 20 says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Paul, stuck in jail, suffering, and he's still praising God. So when we give, we can glorify God. We can make God shine. When we give our time, our finances, our care, and our love to others, we are making God famous. He is glorified. When we serve, he is glorified. When we give, through our giving, our generous God is seen to the world. We, the people are able to see his generous love, his generous care for us, and the generous gospel message that we preach to others. I once heard a preacher, preacher say that when God's people give God's money for God's purposes, God gets the glory. Ultimately, this is why we do it. We want to find contentment in Christ and knowing that he is good enough, that he cares for us. And through this place of contentment, we want to be able to serve and give within a gospel community. We understand that our investments are eternal. We're doing this for the glory of God and for his kingdom and ultimately doing it for his glory. How do we respond to this? I want to encourage everyone to pay attention where you struggle with discontentment. 
Pay attention to that. Ask yourself, is there something in my life that I am angry at God about? Or is there something that I wish that God would do differently? If I were God, I would do things differently. Whether we're waiting for something, whether we're needing for something, pay attention to where your discontentment is. And if Jesus never changes that situation, is he enough for you? Is he enough? Also, when discontentment rises up, rises up, repent and choose to trust in the Lord. Discontentment will sneak up on your heart. It will grow roots right away. And without you recognizing it, it will make you turn away from God. We need to remember that contentment is something that's supernatural. We cannot muster this up on our own strength. But we trust in the Lord, look for him, and we cry out to him. Just like Mike was saying last week, we need to fight for our joy. We need to fight for our joy. Also, look for opportunities to give and to serve. When opportunities rise up, be aware of your heart. Be aware. Does it make you want to pull back? Does it make you want to hold on to things a little bit more? Or does it make you want to serve? And ask God to help you. And also, especially during this season of find ways. And we have families, man. We have an uh, opportunity to teach our children about giving and not just getting. Also, give where you see God at work. Give cheerfully, not only out of duty, but give out of, give out of joy. And remember that you are giving to the Lord. Ask the Lord to lead you in your giving.